Amen. All righty. Well, hey, we're going to have a moment of truth here at sunrise. Christians, we should be honest, right? How many guys have ever been guilty of exaggerating things a little bit? Raise your hand. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're liars, right? Because we've all done that, especially as parents. Have you noticed that? Especially as parents, when your kids start whining and complaining about how bad they got it. You ever done that? And all of a sudden, here it comes, right? A little parental exaggeration. Oh, yeah? You think you got it bad? Back in my day, that's how it always starts, right? Back in my day, right? We, we had to walk to school, right? We had to walk to school uphill in the snow both ways. We couldn't afford shoes. We had to wrap our feet with barbed wire for traction, right? Man, we had to eat dirt and rock and pickle and large sandwiches, and we were grateful for that, right? We always exaggerate, right? Well, it seems this exaggeration of how bad you got it Right? It seems to get worse with each succeeding generation like this guy shares. Let's take a look. We overuse this phrase the most. That's the worst. You ever heard people say that? That's the worst. That's the worst. Really? That's the worst. That is the worst. My wife and I dropped our daughter off at the mall not too long ago. She was better to meet her friends, and her friends weren't there yet. My daughter was distraught. So I think, oh, my friends. My friends. That's not how she talks, but it's really funny. My friend, my friend. <laughs> my friends aren't here. My friends aren't here yet. Now I can't go shopping. I have to wait for them until I get here until I can't go shopping. My wife was like, I know, honey. That's the worst. Really? That's the worst? Being stuck in the mountains or being lost, you know, out, out at sea with sharks circling around you. You're not in more of a pickle there. That's the worst. Can you imagine like those Chilean miners? Remember those Chilean miners a few years ago got stuck in that mine for like 30 days? Do you think they're down that mine going, oh no. This is no good right here, man. We've been down in this mine for a long time, you know. We got no food to eat. We got no water to drink. <coughs> There's not a lot of air left to breathe. We may not live to see another day, my friend. This, this is the worst. The only thing. The only thing that I can think of right now. <laughs> Let me finish, please. The only thing, this is bad right now. The only thing that I can think of right now that could possibly be worse than this is, you know, sometime when you're at the mall And your friends aren't there to meet you yet. And you want to go shopping, but you can't. So you got to wait around on the curb for like 10 minutes or something. I tell you what, this is bad, my friend, but that. That is the worst right there. That is the worst. Oh, exaggerate, don't we? Seems to get worse with these uh, generation, I tell you what. But believe it or not, there is one point. That is not an exaggeration. Some people might say it is, but it's not because it comes from the lips of Jesus. And Jesus said that when it comes to the seven-year tribulation, Matthew 24, and I quote, it is going to be a time of greater horror than anything the world has ever seen or will ever see again, and quote, unless God shortened that time frame, the entire human race would be destroyed. That is the worst, and there is no exaggeration. And the point is this, believe it or not, one of the signs that's getting close is what you're seeing in the news. Turn on your TV. The Israel-Hamas war. It is not by chance, folks. What is happening is happening. The Bible talks about these are the events you could expect in the last days. As we begin breaking it down, we saw the first reason why it's happening is because there's a conflict over the land. Which if you read the Bible, I highly recommend for some strange reason, you'd find out that there should be no conflict. It's Israel's land. 
It came from God. It's an eternal promise. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And if he wants to give it to Israel, he can give it to... It's his prerogative. It's their land. Okay, that's the first conflict. The second thing we saw, Matthew 24, Jesus said there's going to come a time when all nations will not just hate and persecute, but want to kill the Jewish people. What are we seeing right now? And not just in the world. The shocker is where you're seeing a lot of anti-Semitism from so-called churches. It's crazy. But that's what the Bible said would happen, Jesus speaking, in the last days. Then we saw that Israel, little tiny Israel, would become a source of what? World conflict. And again, the amazing thing of that is we saw 20 and a half Israels can fit in the one state of California. Israel can fit in Lake Michigan with room to spare. Israel's smaller than the state of New Jersey, which is tiny. Okay? And yet, it's a, it would become a source of world conflict. Turn on your news. Everybody's talking about it, constantly talking about that. And it isn't just a world conflict from military and things that nature's have seen. We saw last time, it would also be a religious conflict, right? The Bible says uh, that in the last days, there's going to come a one world religion harlot that's also going to develop with the Antichrist a global government. And that's what we see the Vatican is doing right now, who is actually wanting this conflict that we're seeing the news go on because that gives them an excuse to write in as the Savior and to usher in their global religion. That's what we saw last time. Jerusalem just so happens to be the headquarters of all three major world religions, Islam, Catholicism, which is not biblical Christianity, and Judaism. And the Pope, as we saw last time, wants to go there to take control of that area because that's where they want to build their one world religion temple and headquarters. And again, what's the point? They want this conflict to keep going on, right? Because they're going to come in as the saviors and say, see, see, this is why we all got to come together and form a one world government and one world religion. And that's exactly what's going on behind the scenes. One guy puts it this way. I love this. He says this, Jerusalem is a thermometer for measuring the nearness of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more the tensions rises between the Jews and the Muslims and the more that the Vatican and the Catholic Church and the Pope interferes in Jerusalem, the closer we are to this awesome history-altering event, quote, stay tuned for the coming of Jesus Christ, right? In other words, the rapture. But I wanted to conclude with this one, and this has been the big question all along, but I purposely waited to the very end because I wanted to keep it current and see, okay, because this thing's progressing, this Israel-Hamas war and other nations. Remember how it just started with just Israel and Hamas, and then sure enough, the next week, and then the next week, and the next week, and more nations are getting involved, and people are rattling their sabers and saying, we're going to go, right? So I waited to deal with this one because this really is the big question. They're saying, wait a second, wait a second. Israel, it's growing nations around and is this going to lead to the Gog and Magog War? Ezekiel 38. And frankly, that's not only a good question, that's a really good possibility when you begin to examine what is going on uh, with that last day's war, written nearly 2,600 years ago, right? But let's, uh, let's take a look at that event, and let's see if we can see if we're getting anywhere close uh, to what the Bible says would happen. Ezekiel 38, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 18, the context Okay, who are these nations that the Bible says in the last days would have the audacity to not just try to come against Israel, but would invade Israel to try to take her resources and take her out? Okay, we're going to take a look at that, and then we'll do some homework and decipher who are these countries, right? Ezekiel 38, as we stand and read God's holy word. Ezekiel, of course, was written by? Ezekiel. You biblical scholars. Okay, that's all this time I've given you. You know where it's at. Ezekiel 38, verse 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I'm going to turn you around. Put what? Hooks. Notice it's plural. Hooks, plural, in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed and a great horde and large and small shields, all of them brandishing the shores. Persia, Cush and Put will be with them with the shields and helmets and also Gomer with all its troops and Beth from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you, and take command of them. After many days, you'll be called to arm. In future years, you will invade a land. Oh, if I only knew what land he's talking about. If I had some secret knowledge from God, what? Keep reading. Right? Just keep reading, right? You will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of where? Israel. 
It's Israel. You don't need to question. Which has long been desolate. They've been brought out from the nations. And now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up advancing like a storm. You'll be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, thoughts will come to your mind. You will devise an evil scheme. And you're going to say this. Aha. I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people. All of them living without walls and gates and bars. And I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins. And the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. Pay attention to that. Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all her villages will say to you, Have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to what? To seize much plunder. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, This is what the sovereign Lord says. In that day when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? You will come from your place in the far north, you and the many nations with you, all of them riding on horses, a great horde, a mighty army. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land in days to come. O Gog, I'll bring you against my land. Why? So that the nations may know me, i.e. God, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Are you not the one I spoke of in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel? At that time, they prophesied for years that I would bring you against them. This is what will happen in that day when Gog attacks the land of Israel. My what? God speaking, hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. You may be seated if you can. How many guys would say that when God says, my hot anger is against you, that's not a good sign? Yeah, not a good sign at all. But again, this is the infamous passage dealing with the last days prophecy that would happen in the last days that you got basically Ezekiel 38 and 39. We'll get to in a second that tells you the aftermath. It doesn't go well for them, okay, because God is not done with Israel. But it's the Ezekiel, Gog, and Magog prophecy. Very well-known prophecy, but if you're not familiar with it, basically what it is, it's a confederation of nations working with this entity from the far north, and they're going to come against Israel to loot, to plunder, and to uh, basically, uh, to use a modern vernacular, to get Israel's resources. Okay? Now, uh, we're like, well, how do we know that we're close to this? Well, you got to do some homework. Because the nations that are mentioned here 2,600 years ago, the names have changed. Right? And that's common sense. How many of you guys have taken your last vacation in Gomer? That's down south. I'll tell you what, Brad, no Gomer. No, that's not Gomer. Right? What's, where's Go- what? Right? Beth the Corma. Put. How many of you guys take your vacation and put? That place is awesome, but you always got to be careful because once you get there, you have a tendency to stay. Aha, uh-huh, you filled in the blank on that one. Praise God. You make this funny, people. Move on. But anyway, that's right. So, so obviously, you got to do the, the homework, right? So here's what it is. You basically have these nations today are Russia from the north, Magog. Gog is the personage. It's not a place. It's a person. It's like a, a leader, like a Putin. Okay. Then we have Turkey which back then was split up into four chunks, Meshach, Tobal, Gomer, and Togorma, but it's now today modern Turkey. Then we got Iran, which used to be called Persia. Then we got Kush, and that's the area of Sudan, Ethiopia. Okay, And then you got Put, which is modern-day Libya. So stir all this together. How do you know you're living the last days? When you see, basically, Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Libya coming against Israel to take her out. It's a good thing we see no signs of that. <laughs> Folks, this is exactly what this Israel-Hamas is leading to. When you take a look at every one of these nations, they already, have already been working together, but they're siding with Hamas, and they're saying, Israel, you're our enemy. Every single one of them. Let me give you just some recent headlines. First of all, to demonstrate, this is not a foreign relationship with Russia to have with these countries, Muslim countries, basically. Okay, Russia has historically been the one arming these nations for decades and Russia is a major arms exporter, uh, so that's number one. Number two, Russia has had a long-standing relationship with Hamas. And I quote, Russia has hosted Hamas in Moscow on multiple occasions. So this is not a foreign relationship with them. Russia has also condemned Israel okay, uh, and, uh, over this war and, of course, has sided with Hamas. And Russia is now calling Israel her enemy. Hmm. Well... That's one of the nations mentioned there. Let's go to Turkey. Turkey has also had a long-standing relationship with Russia. That's no new news. That's been out there for a while. Again, all these nations and Ezekiel. And Turkey just happens to also what? Be condemning Israel and siding with Hamas. Anybody starting to see a pattern here? What's the next one? Persia. Iran. Iran, again, has had a long-standing relationship with guess who? 
Russia from the far north, okay, for a long time. And Iran has had close ties and involvement with both Hezbollah and Hamas. So again, that's nothing new. And Iran, of course, is now warning Israel uh, uh, over this war that we're going to come get you. You better knock it off. Well, then you even got the other sub-country. Sudan is condemning Israel and siding with Hamas. And then even Libya has ordered all its diplomats out of the countries that support Israel. And their prime minister has, quote, rejected any, quote, normalization uh, with Israel, saying these words, long live Libya, long live Palestine, long live the Palestinian course in all our hearts. So if you're honest with the facts, it's obvious. <laughs> There's no news. There's no sign of any of these nations ever coming against Israel and working together and saying we're going to come get you. It's exactly it's happening right now. That's how close we are. And they're coming to, quote, take Israel out, the Bible says. But unfortunately, they're not reading the Bible because the Bible says God's going to take you out, Right. And that's what we see in Ezekiel 39. It tells us what happens to these nations that come against Israel. God's not done with them, and it don't go well. Okay, to put it mildly, let's take a look. Ezekiel 39. On the mountains of Israel, you will what? Fall. You and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. How many guys would say when God says, I'm going to make you into bird food and dog food? It's not a good thing. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. I will send fire on Magog and those who live in safety in the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. It is coming. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the day I've spoken of. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and listen, use the weapons for fuel, and burn them up, the small and large shields, the bows, the arrows, the war clubs, and spears, for how long? Seven years. They're going to use them for fuel, which just happens to be the exact same time of the seven-year tribulation. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it from the forest because they will use the weapons for fuel. And they will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Lord. Son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Call out to every kind of bird and the wild animals. Assemble and come together from all around the sacrifice I am preparing for you. The great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. And there you will eat flesh and drink blood. I will display my glory among the nations and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict and the hand I lay upon them. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. And so basically what you're talking about here is these guys are not just flirting with World War III officially in the Middle East. Because that's even military experts, seculars are saying, hey, it's not a matter if, it's a matter when. It's going to happen. There's going to be a World War III in the Middle East. Well, that's what Ezekiel said is going to happen too. It's not just that these guys are flirting with Russia and these nations are flirting in the news right now with a World War III official scenario, but their own absolute utter slaughter. And so you're going like, why would they do this? This is insane. Well, I believe God gives us the answer in Ezekiel 38. Remember what he said? I called your attention to it. He puts what? Hooks, plural, more than one, bait. What's a hook for? Bait. He's going to bait them down like a fish. But he's going to use more than one hook. And he says there, because of this bait, all of a sudden they're going to say, ha, they're going to devise an evil scheme. And that scheme is, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do, we're going to do the unthinkable. I don't care if it starts World War III, right? I don't, I don't care what we're, we've got to, we're going to invade and do what? Plunder and loot, carry off silver and gold, livestock and goods, much plunder. Basically, a modern vernacular is, we're coming after your resources. You've got what we need, and we're coming to get it. And folks, I'm going to share four of those hooks with you. One of them has been around for a while. One of them is a more recent development. And the final two, they're happening right now. And you put all these hooks together, I think you're going to see why they would basically do the unthinkable. Start World War III on purpose, unfortunately, to their own doom. And the first hook that God has is Israel's landmass. Again, Israel is this tiny little teeny tiny piece of real estate. But when you look at it from a global domination point of view, a, a control aspect and a control of that area of the world, you've got to have this strip of property. And that's why it was not by chance that God sent Abram over there in this place. He could have sent him to China. He could have had him on a boat and went over to America before Columbus. He could have went down to Australia, bounced around with the kangaroos. Why did he send him to this little strip of land? 
It's not by chance, as we're going to see, right? Genesis 12, this is when it happened, 1 through 5. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. I love this because this little side note here. Uh, in the New Testament, it gives us another little nugget of this account when God calls Abraham. First of all, he called him uh, out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he came over what was called the Fertile Crescent, and then he came down, right? But it was the Ur of the Chaldees, and you know why they named it the Ur of the Chaldees? Because that's what you do, when, that's that noise you make when you go around a corner, you go, <laughs> no, that's not it. I'm just trying to get your attention because you're starting to fall asleep again. So this is a teaching technique. I got to work with Anyway, so he goes around the early Chaldeans, the Fertile Crescent, right? And he comes down there. But the New Testament adds this. He not only does this, listen, God didn't tell him. He says, in the New Testament, it says, and he left not knowing where he was going. Isn't that cool? Because I take great encouragement from that. This is why I don't need... Men, we do not need advice when we're driving. (laughs) If it was good for Abram, it's good for us today. Just saying, let's be biblical. Just enjoy the journey. I don't need... It's the scenic route. We'll get there. Have faith. Let's move on. Okay, so that's what he did. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Of course, the ultimate blessing through him, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, would come. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, whoever curses you. I will curse all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, and as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had, they accumulated, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Again, why there? Well, it's not by chance. It wasn't just the land of milk and honey. I think we're going to add to that in a second here. But this is a strategic area of land. Okay, let me give you a little geography lesson, okay? First of all, think about it from a global domination point of view, right? You got a little strip of Israel right there. To the left is the Mediterranean Sea. You got an impassable desert on the other side. So if you're, let's say, you're wanting to take over the world and you're coming up through Africa and you want to go take over Europe, where where do you got to go? You got to go through a little strip of Israel. Or if you want to go to the right and start taking on Asia, where do you got to go? You got to go through Israel. Flip it around. If you're Europe and you need to go down south and try to take down Egypt and the area down there in Africa and go on down, where do you got to go? Same thing with Asia. They decided to go there. The kings from the east, they got to go through that area. And this isn't just a crone theory. This is what we've seen throughout history. This is a very valuable strategic piece of real estate. Okay? You see this even in the scriptural account. The Assyrian Empire. When they were taking over the world, that's where they wanted. Babylonian Empire, same thing. Persian Empire, Macedonians, that's Alexander the Great, right? And we read these biblical accounts when they're coming through the area. And many times God says, hey, the prophets, hey, uh, Egypt's going to be coming up through here. Or or these other guys are going to be coming down because they're going against Egypt. Just stay back. Leave them alone. Don't get a big head. And they would go out and try to fight him. And say, I told you, leave them alone. But that area was always big for these guys trying to take over the world. And not only that, even the Roman Empire. Same thing, right? Got to get control of that area, major trade route, major control aspect, but it's also for world domination. Again, that's why Ezekiel 38 only says it. Ezekiel 5 says that. Listen, why there? Here's why. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the what? Center of the nations. He says it again with countries all around her. Okay? And so even still to this day, if you're wanting to have access and control that area of the world, you have to get your hands on that land. That's why Israel has always got to be in a state of readiness, as you can see here. Let's take a look. Founded in 1948, the state of Israel is located on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. The country borders the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. Israel's territory has historically been a magnet for great powers, from the Romans to the British. For a Mediterranean power, Israel can serve as a strategic land bridge. And for an Eastern power, control of Israel is necessary to secure its flank. Israel contains parts of four distinct topographical regions. The Negev is an extension of the Sinai Desert and accounts for more than half of Israel. The coastal plain begins in the Gaza Strip and extends northwards to the border with Lebanon. The hill region extends from the foothills of Mount Hermon in the north to south of Jerusalem. The Jordan Rift Valley follows the length of the Jordan River and continues down to the Red Sea. 
Israel also claims the western two-thirds of the Golan Heights, a strategic plateau. The country's core is in the coastal plain and the hill region. Over three million of Israel's approximately eight million inhabitants live in Gush Dan, or the greater Tel Aviv area. Israel currently has the ability to defend itself, but must maintain a posture of constant military readiness. Why? Because that's a strategic strip of land. Very, very small, but very, very important if you're wanting to get control of that area. So I think that's one of the hooks that's been around for a while. The second one is a more recent development, and that's water. That whole area, water is huge. We know this here in Las Vegas, water's a big issue. You don't have water? You know, it's getting a little crusty and thirsty, etc. Same thing that's going over there. Now, what's interesting about Israel's water, when Israel uh, went back into the land, 1948, they became a nation again. When they get back there, uh, they had hardly any water. And what water they did have was some swamp land. It was very diseased water, uh, very brackish, uh, lots of mosquitoes. They had lots of malaria and things of that nature. Okay, so they just quit and ran the other way. No, they begin to develop the land. And Israel still to this day has been a world leader in developing canals and reservoirs, uh, piping system throughout their whole country, being smart, water conservative, like nobody's business. They're actually teaching the rest of the world how to be water conservationists, the techniques. And Israel is the number one world's leader in desalination plants. And so now they've not only been smart with what water they got, but now they're getting water from the ocean converted into drinkable, usable water to the point in 2016. 2016, Israel was exporting 20% more water than what they needed. So think about that. That's a valuable resource, right? Certainly in that area. And if you're going to keep that area going, right? Uh, for purposes of control, or whatever, or just existence. And so you got basically the land. Now you got water. You got more water than you know what to deal with. And you can export it now, and these guys don't have it. And do you think that might end? Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening, folks. These, they're saying that basically because Israel now has so much water, we want it. And as usual, war is a strategy for getting it. But let's take a look at that. Water is life, so they say, but rivalry over supplies can lead to bitter conflicts. You can see here that since the mid-20th century, the planet's seen nearly 180 conflicts connected to water resources. These include both small and large-scale clashes, a lot of them in the Mideast and Africa. Well, you might be surprised to hear that it's water rather than oil there that could be what's fought over in the coming years. Paula Sleer reports now from Israel. The Bible tells us that within a short distance from here, Jesus turned water into wine. 2,000 years later, the greater miracle might be turning the wine back into water. The problem is, in some places, there's very little water to go around. When you have a common uh, water resource shared by several sovereign nations, there's always a possibility of clash of interests, conflicts that should be manageable will spin out of control. And examples of possible conflicts are plentiful. Syria's major water sources travel through Turkey and Iraq, making it vulnerable. While Jordan is reliant on a river where Syria built a dam. Egypt also recently expressed concern over countries using the upper Nile to generate electric power. In the dry landscape of the Middle East, water is a prize more precious than diamonds. In its absence, famine and drought are quick to follow. But this is a region that very seldom needs an excuse for war. And water shortages might just tip the balance. Hmm. So you got the land. That's a very valuable piece of real estate. Very strategic. If I need to control that area. And then now you got more water and what you need. We need that too. Now, it's the next two that are literally happening before our very eyes. Just in time. For the seven-year tribulation. And that is this one. The next one is Israel's gas and oil. Not just gas, but oil. Okay? Israel, the joke about Israel, as you're going to see in a second, was uh, for years, it was kind of like an idiom that they'd always say. You know, uh, when God led Abram down here, uh, you know, he must have took a wrong turn. You know, because how is it that we're in the same area, but we ain't got no oil? All these other Countries are getting rich, right? And they got, they're billion trillionaires, right? But we ain't got nothing, not anymore. Israel, recent developments are finding some of the biggest deposits of gas and oil on the planet. 
And guess whose economy is going to start affecting very soon? Russia. Right? Watch this. This is just one field called Leviathan. And they found several fields, but this one is just called Leviathan. But watch this. Israel is located in a region that is extremely rich in oil and gas, but it has practically none of its own. Until recently, offshore discoveries could make the country self-sufficient in energy. Elliot Gottken reports. The Middle East produces around a third of the world's oil and about 15% of its gas, but almost none of it comes from Israel. But on the eastern edge of the Med, that's changing, and here's why. Named after the biblical sea monster, Leviathan is a monster gas field, at the time the biggest discovery in a decade. It contains 20 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, perhaps enough to power Israel for more than 100 years. US-based Noble Energy, together with its main local partner, Delek Drilling, stand to make billions. So it's a big deal, not only for ourselves, as a commercial company, uh, which uh, for sure is a game changer, but I think that the implications are very uh, significant also to the Israeli economy and for the state of Israel in large. Now Israel could export the gas to Asia, it could export it to Europe, reducing these regions' dependence on Russia and boosting its own diplomatic muscle in the process. What did you say? It's not just Israel, oh hey, now we get to be energy independent for 100 years. And this is just one gas field. They also find Tamar, Delete, Dolphin, and a whole bunch of other gas fields. That's just one of them. But they can start exporting it to Asia or who? Europe. And he even admitted it's going to do what? Lessen their dependency on who? Russia. If you know anything about Russia's economy, what is keeping that thing afloat? With all the sanctions that the world has been putting on it, including the United States, over the Ukraine issue, the one thing that's keeping them going is the energy. They're the major energy export of Europe. But if Israel gets involved, starts taking into that business, do you think they're going to just sit there? Sounds like a hook to me. In fact, watch this. Vladimir Putin contacted Benjamin Netanyahu and made an offer that he believed he couldn't refuse. Putin offered to guarantee the safety of Israel's newly discovered Leviathan gas fields using the full might of the Russian army. Netanyahu politely declined. The very next week, on orders from Putin, fighter jets, tanks, sophisticated battlefields, communications equipment, anti-aircraft middle batteries, and special forces arrived in Syria, just the top of Israel, the north there. Why? Because this provides Russia with the ultimate deterrence if it were needed. Quote, Russia's aims are obvious. It's resources. Okay? The Russian objective relates to Israel and the hook that got himself a place in Gog's jaw. At some point, Gog's going to have this evil thought. And will determine to invade a beautiful land and take a spoil. It seems increasingly likely that this evil thought centers on the Leviathan gas fields. Listen, so vast. And again, they got other ones. This is just the one. Just this one is so vast, it could dwarf the existing Saudi and Iraqi fields, making Israel or whoever owns them the richest nation on planet Earth. And there's Israel, sitting alone in the Middle East. Little Israel, sitting on a gas field of immense size, Immeasurable value, little Israel, hated and scorned by the nations of the world, openly despised, seemingly without a true friend, a real protector. Little Israel, isolated, very alone, very exposed, or so God thinks. God himself on that day will stand up and fight for her on her behalf. And woe to Gog and his allies, for mighty is the Lord who will save her. We, Christian, are privileged to see these events in real time as this horde is forming now. Though the world will look upon these things in days to come with fear and dread, we should not because we know the beginning from the end. Israel is rapidly approaching her appointment with destiny and so are we. Wow. Now that's enough to just start a war in that area. That's enough where you got the land, you got the water, now you got this gas field, richest nation on the earth. It's going to affect their economy. You know it's going to happen. And they, they're just going to sit there and, and let it further destroy what little they got left, keeping them afloat. Are you kidding me? Now, it's not just the oil or the gas. It's the oil it, on top of this. And again, this is what's crazy. Talk about the sovereignty of God. Remember, he says, and he placed him there. Why there? Well, the land's strategic, water, things of that nature, but now oil and gas. And think about that. Back then, how many guys... You know, it said there that Abraham left with Lot and his family and their possessions. How many guys realize they didn't use a U-Haul? Right? They didn't have cars back then. Right? When God put them there. Why there? 
right? Although some would say, according to the New Testament, there were uh, vehicles because it says there um, and uh, that the disciples, when they got together, the apostles, it says there they all drove Hondas. Oh, come on, Brad, what are you talking? No, it says there, it says they were all in one accord. Right? So that's, that could be a case, but I digress. But anyway, that's right. But my point is, think about this timing and the sovereignty of God. Now, it's the, the oil and the gas was there the whole time. When do they discover it? Now, when Russia is getting all these sanctions, it just so happens there is a Russia. They're already working with these countries. Russia is languishing because of the Ukraine war issue and all these sanctions being placed on them. And now this is threatening them. And it happens to be in a time when our world is now completely dependent on, because of modern transportation, what? Oil and gas. It's all coming together. But let me give you just a little taste of just how much, uh, not just gas, but now oil that they're finding there. Watch this. Recently discovered oil reserves in the eastern Mediterranean look set to become the latest point of tension in the troubled region. At least four major competitors are staking their claim. Israel, Lebanon, Turkey and Cyprus all want a peace, but with no clearly defined maritime borders. The fight could be lengthy, bitter and even bloody. Artis Paulus Lear takes a closer look. Prayers a long time in coming. I've been begging for a year, a year. Please, Lord, don't let me down. Don't let me down. And finally, Jackie Malaysia's prayers have been answered. The oil company he's invested in reportedly hitting bingo underground. We're still talking about the largest amount of oil ever to be discovered in the state of Israel. But it's not only Israel laying claim to the reserves. Greek Cyprus, Turkey and Lebanon also say the oil's theirs. And while international law allows a country to drill in the so-called continental shelf off its coast, the fact that Israel and Lebanon have never agreed on maritime boundaries makes it unclear where Israel ends and Lebanon begins. I know that Lebanon has its version of where it thinks the borderline will pass if and when they, we ever negotiate. And I know that Israel has its own version of where the land passes, but they're not in agreement on where that line is. And because the two countries are enemy states, there's unlikely to be any agreement anytime soon. There's a joke in Israel that when Moses led the Jews out of Egypt, he took a wrong turn on his way to the promised land, bringing them to the one spot in the Middle East that has no oil. But that punchline might need to change because it seems that Moses might not have been so wrong after all. Just in time for the last days. Interesting. Now, did you see how you can see how this is not going to go well? Good news for Israel. They're, they're finding oil and gas and on land, offshore. But what's the problem? What's, what's already starting? Oh, that's my territory. No, that's not because a lot of these areas weren't completely defined. Or there's different opinions on who's whatever. Do you think that's going to go well? The more that this comes up, pun intended... It's not going to go. And guess who also is already on record saying, uh, we want that oil as well. Russia. Watch this. Will the discovery of huge amounts of oil in Israel lead to war in the Middle East? Billions of barrels of oil have been discovered in Israel, and this discovery could essentially make Israel energy independent for decades and decades to come. Not just the oil or the gas, but now the oil. But there's one problem. The discovery, this one, was made, as you saw, in the Golan Heights. Now, if you're not familiar with the Golan Heights, that's an area that Israel took back in the 67 war, the Six-Day War in 1967. The government of Israel says that's our territory, right? The problem is the UN, shocker, doesn't uh, agree with that, and they say, no, that belongs to Syria. So there's a built-in problem already. Now that you have massive amounts of oil being discovered there, what's this going to do to the tensions in the region? Quote, could this discovery of oil help set stage for World War III? And do you think that Syria and Israel's Arab neighbors are going to just sit there as Israel pumps their oil out of the ground? Just as Israel's offshore Mediterranean gas discoveries have created an entire new energy industry, so the Golan Heights oil could generate another industry around that as well. But it's also giving renewed motivation to those who wish to take the Golan Heights back from the Israelis. Listen, if that oil can be extracted, it will be a huge bonanza for Israel and an enormous reason for whoever rules in Syria to, quote, launch a war against Israel. And depending on the size of that oil field under the Golan Heights, the whole configuration of the oil control in the Middle East could be affected. Listen, who has it, who owns it, who sells it, who buys it, and who sets the price? 
And I quote, that is why Putin has been chumming up with Syria for a long time to increase his influence in the Middle East. And if you think that's a stretch, quote, the Russian Times is even talking about this discovery, saying it's got the potential to produce billions of barrels of oil. Quote, we are talking about significant quantities. Everybody and his brother wants a piece of the pie. Quote, as usual, war is a strategy for getting it. Wow. Why would these guys literally flirt with World War III in the Middle East on purpose? And then they're going to get slaughtered for it. Why would you do that? Hooks. God's going to do some bait. And you say, they got some resources you want. And you're going to devise this evil scheme. Let's go get it. We need that land. We need that water. We better do something fast about this gas and oil or our economy is done. You can see the setup. And then you got incredible people like Biden making things worse. No joke. This is all happening in the news. Right? Now, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. In this context, I think it's very appropriate. Biden, apparently, is also an acronym that stands for bumbling, imbecile, destroying entire nation. Make a t-shirt, make some money, donate it to the kids. But listen, this guy, everything he touches, he's not only destroying our country on purpose. We've seen that before. He was brought in to destroy America, to dismantle our country, because we got to go if you're going to reset it into a new global economy. We're the backbone of the economy, so you've got to take us down. That's the whole plan. But he's out there on top of that poking the bear. Russia. They've already got all these sanctions placed on them. Their economy is languishing. The only thing keeping afloat is the energy sector. Israel's about to take over their, economy, or their, their energy base and their customer, which means it's going to destroy their economy. And then here comes Biden, and he blows up their major pipeline that they use to make money off of because they supply the energy to Europe. You're going to say, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. He blew up Nord Stream pipeline, and he admitted it on tape. Watch this. If you are Vladimir Putin, you would have to be a suicidal moron to blow up your own energy pipelines. That's the one thing you would never do. Natural gas pipelines are the main source of your power and your wealth and most critically your leverage over other countries. Europe needs your energy now more than ever with winter approaching. If you can't deliver that energy, then countries like Germany have no need to pay attention to what you want. You're in the middle of a war, an all-hands-on-deck war, so you need all the leverage you can get. Under these circumstances, there is no chance you would blow up Nord Stream 1 or 2. Not now, obviously. In fact, it's so obvious that even our famously dim Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, seemed to acknowledge it. Sabotaging Nord Stream, he said today, is clearly in no one's interest. Right. But really only half right. It is true that blowing up Nord Stream does not help Vladimir Putin. He would not do that. Why would he? But that doesn't mean that other countries wouldn't consider doing it. They would consider it. And we know they have considered it because at least one of them has said so in public. In early February, less than three weeks before the war in Ukraine began, Joe Biden suggested on camera that he might take out these pipelines. Watch. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. We we will bring an end to it. What do what? How will you how will you do that exactly? Since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control, we will. Uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Notice how he phrased that. And he's the president. Doesn't phrase things by accident, particularly when he's reading off cards. He didn't say, I will pause the delivery of gas from Russia to Germany. He said, there won't be a Nord Stream 2. We'll put an end to it. We'll take it out. We'll blow it up. That's what I call poking the bear. It's bad enough. Your economy with the invasion of Ukraine around the world has been putting these sanctions on you. And that's what it's designed to do, to strong arm you to get you to stop doing what you're doing. The only thing keeping them flow is the energy sector. Israel's coming in as a competitor. And then you go and blow up their pipeline. How's that going to work out? It's almost like somebody's being baited to start World War III. Which leads us to the last hook, and that's one that I believe usually gets overlooked. And it's very important and very applicable to speaking of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but it's uh, the Dead Sea. 
The Dead Sea, the misnomer of the Dead Sea is that it's dead, that there's nothing in it of value, and that's not true. It's got a plethora of valuable minerals, and there's a lot of great lessons you can learn, trust me, from the Dead Sea. Number one, if you ever have the privilege of going there, don't shave before you go into that water. <laughs> right? Number two, even though you're taking a lot of cool pictures, don't be deceived like I was with the chairman of our deacons, John Hood, who went with us last time. I got it on my phone. I told him in first service about this. And I says, I was, I was like a pastor looking at the chairman of the deacons. And he didn't know I was watching him. He was out there like everybody else. Everybody's hitting that scene, trying to float and all that stuff. And I saw John out there. And it was like, he was like going like that. I'm going, man, look, he's having a spiritual moment, man. He's breaking down. He's crying. I'm going, this is cool. I'm going to take a picture. Right? He gets on shore and I say, hey, John, you know, whatever. And I'm going, dude, that, how, how was it out there? And, and I told him about it. He said, he said uh, Pastor, I'd love to say that that's what was going on. He said, I got the water in my eyes. I can cry on. <laughs> I thought he was being spiritual, man. I was all excited for him. But anyway, that wasn't it. So anyway, you can learn a lot of valuable lessons about the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, though, is not dead. Right? You can go fishing there all day, have fun. You're not going to catch nothing. But there's other valuable things in there. Okay? And a lot of people are already making a buku bucks off of it. But let's take a look at one company. Watch this. The Dead Sea, the lowest point on Earth and one of nature's greatest wonders. The Earth's crust cracked, creating the Great Rift Valley. The special climate conditions, combined with a burst of underground salty springs, created the ancient valley, a hypersaline lake unlike any other in the world, with 34% solid mineral content, 10 times more than any other sea or ocean. This mineral content held a power like no other. This is the natural magnificence of the Dead Sea. Its beauty and healing properties became known around the world, coveted by many who voyaged to its captivating shores to bask in its skin-revitalizing waters. Even Queen Cleopatra made the Dead Sea her own private spa. For thousands of years, millions of visitors have come to witness the breathtaking landscape and to experience the wonders of the Dead Sea region, nature's greatest spa. But this is only the beginning of the legend. In 1988, driven by their love for the region and deep passion to unearth its mysteries, three kibbutzim living on the banks of the Dead Sea joined together to establish the mineral skincare brand, Ahava. Today, Ahava is the Dead Sea Minerals Beauty Authority, and its products are marketed in over 30 countries through prestige chains, department stores, and perfumeries, in addition to local and international concept stores. In the lowest place on earth, the wonders of nature are being packed and delivered to the world. You know what? That makes sense. I could see that. I could see why Russia would want to have access to the Dead Sea and the, the cosmetics there. They're ladies. They're, apparently, they, maybe they don't have good enough cosmetics there to try to help things out with relationships. And... I didn't say J. Vernon McGee did. I didn't say it. J. Vernon McGee did. If a barn needs painting, paint it. Right? So maybe that's... No, it's not. I know that's what you're thinking. What do we... No, there's something more valuable. These guys are making money, making cosmetics out of this. But in all seriousness, with Russia, the chemicals that are in here could not only rescue your economy just like that, the value, and with Russia invading Ukraine, there's another thing in here that they could use to control the world. And I quote, watch this. God dug a tremendous hole in the earth many years ago to store a treasure for his people Israel, which staggers the imagination. Of course, it's the Dead Sea, the lowest elevation on planet Earth's surface. But by the way, God arranged things. The Jordan River and its tributaries have been washing minerals down into that hole that God has prepared for thousands of years. And in recent years, it has been found it is the most valuable depository of strategic chemicals in the world. Not just cosmetics. 
And I quote, it is estimated that the potential value of the potash, bromine, and other chemical salts in its water, listen, is four times the wealth of the United States. So do you think that would help somebody's economy out? That's like getting the treasure box. Not only that, any would-be dictator would take high risks to capture that treasure, okay, because it would also furnish, and I quote, enough fertilizer for the whole world. And since Russia has invaded Ukraine, what is one of the side effects of that? Ukraine is one of the major areas where we get fertilizer from for the world, and they're saying now we're in risk of global food supplies. And we're not seeing it, not right away, but it's going to catch up because we, can't, we don't have the fertilizer anymore. But then you have access to the Dead Sea. If you were to get your hands on it, you could have enough for the whole world. You don't think you could use that for leverage or control? And then still not even that. And the Dead Sea also, with its other chemicals, quote, could provide the explosives needed to subdue all your enemies in that one spot. That's a big hook, right? Why do you think that Russia has spent billions of dollars to help the Arabs fight? Is it because Russia loves the Arabs? Absolutely not. I believe many other people believe that they're unfortunately being used by the Russians to do the dirty work. And that if they were to succeed against Israel, and they won't, the Bible's very clear, that they would turn around and get rid of the Arabs and take control for themselves. That's what the Kremlin is up to, right? But they have also not seen where God has written down in his book what he plans for Israel and the disposal of her enemies. When the nations of the earth will be beating a path to Israel's door to get these resources that mean life to them, God will judge them and crush them. Yet even as we speak, they're still plotting to do the job. And they're preparing, listen, for a tremendous invasion force to go down over the mountains of Syria into Israel. And for years, people laughed at the Gog and Magog prophecy, mentioning this great army in the mountains in the northern part of Israel, and that Israel would have enough uh, 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 fuel for seven years. They wouldn't have to buy it because they would burn the weapons of the enemies. You know, the clubs and the spears and the arrows and all that stuff. Quote, only recently has it been known that the tanks and the weapons of this army are made of a non-metallic material that burns like coal to thwart the Israeli metal-seeking atomic missiles. And Reuters news agency has reported that Russia has also made large purchases of special archery equipment, so powerful and accurate it can shoot an arrow through a man's heart at 100 yards and still keep going. And it's no secret that Russia has also bought up a large number of horses recently, a type best adapted for a military invasion through the mountains. How wonderful and seemingly improbable Bible prophecies are coming to pass. Who would have dreamed of a literal fulfillment of Ezekiel prophecies of bows and arrows and horses fighting a battle? Christian, this is not a pipe dream. These are carefully authenticated facts they fit perfectly in the pattern of Bible prophecy. So while there's still time, what's our response? We need to be out there with tracks, personal witnessing, rescuing those who need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before it's too late. And that's why Jesus said what? When these things begin to take place. Stand up, look up, ma'am. Your redemption drawing near. It's getting close. God tells us these things, not to scare us, to keep us from getting distracted. We're almost at the finish line. Why would we sit down... Right before the finish line. Why would we get apathetic? Why would we quit? Why would we say, you know what? I'm just going to turn around and go back the other way. Or you know what? I'm going to go window shopping. It's like, no, you're almost there. What are you doing? Finish strong. Finish the race. What are you doing? Don't get distracted. But he says this. But if you're unsaved, the day of grace is still here. But it may be gone tomorrow or even today. So ask Jesus Christ to forgive you for sins now. Because the prophesied Ezekiel 38 war is about to come to pass. And you don't want to be here. You know why? Because that is the worst. The real worst. And you think that Ezekiel 38 war is bad? When God says, oh, by the way, those guys that come against you, all those nations, including Russia, you're going to be completely slaughtered. I'm going to turn you into bird food and dog food. That's bad. The Bible says right after this uh, seven-year tribulation begins, there's a false peace. doesn't last very long because the next one is the second seal. The red horse rider, a global war, breaks out on the planet. And one-fourth of the earth is killed. Today's statistics, that's two billion people. And, and you're just getting started. 
You still got the rest of the seal judgments, then the trumpets, then the bulls. That is the worst. And so if you have not asked Jesus Christ to forgive you your sins, please, I beg you, do it today. This is not a joke. That's why God's got you here. You don't want to go into this worst time. It'll look something like this after the rapture. Let's take a look at this.
two billion one-fourth of the earth dies. And you're just getting started. That is the worst. That's the bad news. The good news is God tells us this in advance so that we would take the good news and the way out, the one only way out through Jesus Christ. And he is willing to forgive anyone, all of us, any of us, of anything you've ever done through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Receive his love. Don't stay under his wrath. Take the way out to Jesus before it's too late. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, 
the gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.